Well, hello, everyone. I'm your host, Colton Prater, and this is the Fire Zone Revival Podcast. And as always, I'm honored that you would take the time to listen to today's episode. And for today's episode, we are continuing on with part two of our interview with pastor and church planter Nick White to Boston, Massachusetts. And I would encourage you that if you haven't listened to part one, I would encourage you to pause this part here, this episode, go listen to part one, and then pick back up here with part two, because part two will make a lot more sense having listened to part one to find out his backstory and how he came to know Christ as his Savior and answer the call to preach and all that and so forth. But if you have listened to part one, thank you for doing so, and I would encourage you to share it with someone, maybe a friend or an acquaintance, a sibling, parent, whatever, and share it with someone and then finish listening here with part two and maybe share it with someone else as well and review the podcast and rate it and so forth. But without further ado here, we'll open up with a word of prayer and then jump into part two of our interview with pastor and church planter Nick White. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity again, Father, for us to record this broadcast for people. And ask that you use it, Father, to be a blessing to Christians across the world that are listening to it. That you use it to impact countless people, Father. That you just use this to help, as I said earlier in the last broadcast in the prayer, to maybe light a fire in someone's heart, Father, and give them a burden for the northeast, uh, northeastern region of the United States. And that you just use this, Father, Father, to maybe burden someone for church planning or being a missionary or just reaching people, Father, in general, in soul winning and evangelism and so forth. But just please use this interview, I pray. Thank you for allowing us to record it again. And in your son's name, amen. Why should someone who's answered the call to preach in their life, why should they pray about planning a church? So I, I, could, I could teach. For me personally, because I've talked to so many guys and I've, so many of my mentors have talked to me about this. I could just teach a class relaying all of the wisdom that has been imparted to me from older men of God who've done it before. But, mm-hmm. but let me just try and put it this way. I think there would be two main things that I would say. I would say this. Number one, because no one else is going to tell them. If you don't tell them, who will? Mm-hmm. And for exactly. me personally, Jesus said the harvest is plenteous, the laborers are few. We know that the, the harvest is plenteous right now. There are people out there who would get saved if they heard the gospel, and it's up to us to reach them. I know that's so basic. That's elementary. I know that. But when you really think about that, in America, 11, uh, every 11 seconds, somebody dies. You can count that out. You can count it 11 seconds. In mm-hmm. every 11 seconds in America, someone goes into eternity. If that doesn't help you to want to steward mm-hmm. your time – if that doesn't really encourage you or motivate you to just use your time for eternity's sake, then I, I don't know what will. But you got to think, man, in just the time that we've talked, who knows how many people have gone into eternity. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So while we twiddle our thumbs and while we put out tweets and while we're scrolling and while we're – listen, let me just say this. There are people dying and going to hell. Yeah, I've heard that a million times before. Well, you need to hear it again. People are dying and going to hell, and if we don't reach them – well, then it's on us. It's on us. Yep. We have that responsibility. And there are major cities, and one of them is Boston. And even D.L. Moody said that the highest hills in America are great cities. And if you can stir uh, America, or you, if you can stir rather those, those great cities, it's like water running down hills. If you stir the cities, you'll stir the nation. And that is the hmm. key. If we're going to see America changed, I hate to say it. I I, I believe that there's a need everywhere. We, I never want to belittle a need. There is great needs in the Midwest. 
There's great needs in, in small towns and rural towns. There are great needs, and there's just as much a need there as there are in the greater the bigger cities. But if America, if the ship of America is ever going to be turned around, it's going to be because we're reaching the cities. If we somehow think that us not reaching the masses is going to change anything, it's not. Washington, D.C. is up in the northeast. In New York City with Wall Street, uh, all of our Ivy League schools are in the northeast. So you're going to tell me that none of that's going to get reached, but we're going to see revival in America. If we're going to see wow. revival, we've got to see our cities revived. We've got to get the gospel into these cities, but what we do is we shy away from the cities, and we see how hard it is. Don't ever let what it could cost you keep you from going. Don't ever do that because what happens is you're forgetting what it would cost them if you don't go. And, and what you need to do is you need to see that it's costing them much more than it's costing you if you stay where you are, especially if you graduated Bible college where you're just a young guy and you're just sitting in a pew. You know God's called you to preach. Man, you you got to serve. I'm, I'm not yes, saying so. you've got to go, go to a place and start a church. But man, there's only two appropriate answers to the call to preach on your life, and that is to either prepare for the calling or to perform the calling, and there is no alternative. So if you're not preparing, you need to be performing, and if you're not performing the call, you need to be preparing for the call. So sometimes we need a time of study. Paul had three years in the Arabian desert. I think of David even. David, before he was king, had to have around 10 years in exile. We know that Moses was in the backside of the desert for 40 years. And you just see it over and over and over again. Elijah in the wilderness. There's like this time in their life before they go out there where there was this training. It was this, it was this time of uh, humbling. It was this time where God taught them things that they needed to know before they uh, finally uh, – fulfilled that calling and 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 what we need to realize is yeah there's there's got to be a time of preparation but if you're done your time of preparation yeah it's time to perform it's time to perform you, if you're called to preach and you're not preaching something's wrong I, I i'm just talking about if you're not preaching at the nursing home if, if you're not preaching yeah. out in the street i don't care where it is but if you're called to preach and you're not either preparing or performing if you're not preaching there's something wrong there's something wrong you you got to you got to fulfill that calling. You got to follow that calling and just trust the Lord and, and follow his leading and all of that. But w we need to reach the cities, man. That's it. That's it. We just got to reach the cities. And, yep. and if yep. God hasn't called you to the city, then yeah, man, stay, stay where God's called you. Don't, don't come up here out of God's will, but why don't you do this partner with somebody who is going up there? Let your church support yes, somebody sir. who's going up to the Northeast and, and don't get into this mindset of American missionaries. Like the way we do things is we'll support a, uh, uh, a stateside missionary for two years, and then that support drops off. And that that guy who's in that major city, he is working a job. His wife is working a job. He's trying to get the church going, and there are people there. Listen, a lot of these people don't have money in the cities. It's expensive. And so for us to expect, all right, you have two years to get this church off the ground. After that, we're dropping support. We just can't do that, and it's killing. It's killing our church planners. We need to just say, all right, we're going to partner with them just like they would go to any other. Now, listen, if you're going to like Texas, some small town in Texas, 
right? Where it's it's really affordable and the, the pastor can get a part-time job, then then that's fine. I'm not saying that they need support for lifetime. But if you're in a major city like a San Francisco or a Boston where it is so expensive to live up here, man, they're going to need support for maybe five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Who knows how much longer, but they're going to need support for, for maybe a decade to finally be able to get that church to that place. And every every case is different, but if God hasn't called you to the city, then partner with somebody who is going to the city because this is our mission field and this is America. And we're now starting to see people send missionaries to us rather than us sending missionaries to them. Mm. America is, is going we, – we just saw it today. We saw it come out. Where that pastor got up and he 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 said a woman amen and a woman yeah <laughs> and and he called on Brahma that Hindu god I mean listen I saw someone came out and said he just cursed America no America has been cursed exactly America has been cursed mm-hmm. we we've got the blood of millions of children on our hands this is a land where we have totally rejected God over and over and over again we have people who are actively trying to rip God out of every single fiber of our DNA. Man, America's been cursed, and if we don't really get to work on reaching people, then you, you just might as well say goodbye because it is not – it's already looking like a different America, and, but, but it's going to get worse if we don't start reaching people. So I would say that, but then the next thing, and, and just briefly I want to say this. I don't want to talk your ear off too much, but, no, you're good. <laughs> but, but we need mavericks. We need mavericks, meaning like we need trailblazers. We need young trailblazers you know a lot of guys that graduate bible college or they'll you know they'll graduate high school and they're looking for coattails to ride on and they say well i'll just i'll go on staff and listen if it's god's will for you to go on staff somewhere this is not what i'm talking about and Mm -hmm. it's a good thing to go on staff places obviously there's there's a calling for everybody and and it differs but but here's what i'm saying though what a lot of guys do is they're waiting for that big opportunity. Well, I'll just be a youth pastor and an established ministry, and they'll give me a place to live, and they'll give me a salary, and I won't have to worry about my finances. My wife can stay at home and, and just take care of the home all day while I'm at work, and, and I'll just look for something like that. This isn't a career path. This is a calling, and what we see now is that the coattails are getting shorter and shorter and short, meaning this, that the men of God who have, uh, who have uh, been used by God to see these churches used greatly and these bigger churches do great things for God, they're passing off of the scene. Mm. And we're running out of coattails to ride on. And now it's come to a place where the mantle is on the ground. And we have to pick up the mantle, and we got to go somewhere where there is nothing. We've got to go places where there is not something that's already established, and we've got to just decide, I'm going to be a maverick. I'm going to I'm gonna blaze a trail. David and his friends, they did exploits. We need pioneers. We need mm-hmm. guys who are going to go out and by God's grace and through God only make something out of nothing. Go to a town. I don't care if it's with a team or if it's just you and your wife. Go to a town and just start reaching people. Yeah. Go somewhere and do it by faith. We've lost that, man. We, we, we've lost that art of living by faith. 
We have to make sure. Every, man, I, I'm just going to be honest. I've called Bible colleges asking if there's anyone who wants to come up here and help me build this church as like an assistant youth pastor. And I'll tell you what a lot of Bible colleges will tell you. Well, we don't really send people anywhere unless there's pay, unless they'll get a salary. It's a common answer that you get. I got to be honest. And listen, I, I think a lot of the Bible colleges in America, they're good. And they do a lot of great. But that is that is just flat out wrong. It's flat out wrong. Yeah, exactly. We, we cannot train people. Well, you should only go somewhere unless it, it benefits you. No, no, no. What, what is that about? What is that about? The son of man had nowhere to lay his head. I mean, nowhere. That's what he told that man. He said, I, you're not going to have much money. What was that scribe who came out? He, he came out to Jesus and he literally said, I want to follow you, a scribe. You think about that. That scribe was literally yeah. willing to make himself a social outcast. For him to come out and say, I want to follow mm. Jesus would totally alienate him from his, from his peers, from his contemporaries. It would totally alienate him. And he really stepped out on a limb to tell Jesus that. What does Jesus say? Well, Jesus said, OK, well, I have nowhere to lay my head. He's basically saying, I know how you are. You may be willing to, to sacrifice your reputation, but that is not the requirement. The requirement for following Christ is being willing to sacrifice everything. Everything. It's putting it all on the table. It's not just being willing to give up this part of your life or that part of your life. But it's literally putting everything on the table and saying, all right, God, whatever you want – I'll do. And that was the scribe's problem. He was willing to sacrifice his reputation, but he wasn't necessarily willing to live without finances. He was very wealthy. Scribes, they were taken care of. And Jesus knew exactly what was keeping him. He, was, he, he, he made sure to say, it. Now, the thing that's holding you back, it's this. It's the fact I have nowhere to lay my head. Are you going to be okay with that? And then you even see someone else come out and say, yeah, well, let me bury my father first, which is in Middle Eastern terms saying, let my father die so I can receive his inheritance. Mm -hmm. Later, I'll do this later, Jesus. Don't worry. After I get my inheritance, then I'll, come, I'll just do this later. But well, we need guys who will blaze trails now. Just follow God and just say, this is it. God's calling me, and I'm just going to trust God. And you'll find out that there's no sweeter thing than hand to mouth relationship with mm -hmm. God, where God just, I mean, just meets needs in, in impossible ways. Man, that, those are things you can teach your kids as you grow up, they, as, as they grow up, they'll see, man, mom and dad just trusted God and God provided for them. Man, that, that, that's invaluable. I mean, that, that's something that those kids will never forget is seeing miracles done through mom and dad's life because they just walk by faith. And that's what we need. We need guys who will be mavericks, guys who will be trailblazers, pioneers. Praise the Lord. And going off of that, you kind of hit, I think you hit all around this for the next question in answering that one. But why should someone maybe specifically not only just church planning, but specifically pray about and consider going to the Northeast region of the United States to serve? Yeah, I kind of jumped the gun and just went straight to the Northeast and the major cities. So I, I apologize right. about that. But but in, in essence, church planning is the Great Commission. I mean, it really is the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to reproduce ourselves. And I, I did really touch on the Northeast and everything, the need there. Um, the need is so great. In Boston, there's four and a half million people in the greater Boston area. And there are, to my knowledge, as far as independent Bible-believing Baptist churches, okay, gospel-preaching mm -hmm. churches, there are maybe four, 
five in Boston proper. Wow. And in greater mm. Boston, there may be 10, 15 churches, which I'm just going to be honest, 10 and 15 churches is not even close to enough to reach all of those people. Four and a half million people. There's 60 Dunkin' Donuts in Boston proper alone. 60. Wow. Can you imagine what the difference that would be made if there were 60 churches? And so I would just I would just say that a lot of people say, well, you're in Boston. I've, I've talked to guys, and they say, pray for me. I'm praying about starting a church, and Boston's on the list. I'm praying for it. Uh, but, but the only thing keeping me back is I know that you're in Boston, and I don't, I don't want to come up on your territory. I promise, man, if you come to Boston, you're not infringing on my territory. There, there's room for plenty of us here. There, mm -hmm. There's room for probably, I would say, about 100 churches. Wow. We could use that many guys. So I'm just saying, like, the need is is overwhelming, to say the least. And it's overwhelming. And New York City is a, is a beast of its own, man. About 10 million people. I think it's 8.5 million people in New York City alone. Man, like, these are areas that are just not getting reached. They're not getting reached. And so we just – we need guys to be willing to step on the line and say, you know, I'm going to follow God by faith. I'm going to be a maverick. We're going to raise support. And we're just going to go start a church by faith and just do it. Just do it by faith. So. Man, praise the Lord. That's great. I, I know that the, the where you're from and where you live now is completely different where I'm from. I'm from a small town in middle Tennessee where there's churches on every corner. And I go to Bible college in East Tennessee where there's churches every sure. corner, it seems like. But that picture you painted up there in the Northeast, of how you said there were about 10 to 15 or so Bible believing churches and maybe all of Boston there combined in the greater yes. area. And then the commons, you yes. said, man, 15 churches for over 10 million people. That is insane. So if you're listening, I would encourage you, I'm going to start doing this myself as well. Pray for that area. Ask God that if he wants you to go there, yeah. that you'll go, that you'll answer that call and begin to pray for that area because that we need more churches in that right. area, especially. Right. I mean, we need churches everywhere. I mean, you look at the need in the southeast, you could say there's churches that need to be planted, and the same that the northwest. Right. But, right. but the northeast needs it really bad with all the big cities up there. And I would encourage you to pray for that area. Pray for that need. And ask God that if he wants you to go, that you'd be willing to go and prepare your heart for that. I would encourage you to. I'm going to join that myself here recently. I'm going to start doing that now But and so forth. But next question I've got for you, kind of changing gears from church planning and preaching and so forth. Yes. Yeah. I know in your Twitter account that you're always asking for book suggestions for the new year and different things for books for you to read. Yeah. So what would you say was your favorite book you read this past year and why? Man, that's tough. Uh, you know, out of, out of all the books that I read, I would have to say that can – I, can I give a few? I'll just give a few real quick because sure. it's really hard for, for me it. to say that one was my favorite. But – uh, the book called The Making of the Man of God, The Making of a Man of God by Alan Redpath is is exceptional. And it, it's just – it's highlighting da David's life and um, talking about how God brought him from being a shepherd boy to being a king and how God works in our lives as men of God uh, to shape us, to fashion us, to use us. That's a great book, and I really recommend that. But man, one of the most convicting books I've ever read is the book called Praying Hyde. Praying Hyde. It's about John Hyde, and uh, it's a it's just a book about a man who had a prayer life second to none, really, 
And this was a man who they, they had something in India called the Silcott Convention, and they were missionaries there, and Prang Hyde was one of them, John Hyde. And there was a meeting, and I'll just – I don't want to tell you everything. The book's pretty long. It's, I think, about 400 pages. At least that's the edition I have. Um, but but there's a lot in it. But one of the main things that happens is Prang Hyde in a prayer meeting prayed so fervently that his heart literally moved over in his in his uh, heart cavity in in that cavity in his chest it literally his he prayed with so much fervency that his heart physically moved wow and uh, it was through his prayer life that they saw many 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 people saved and there were revivals that that broke out there and uh, in india and man that is such a convicting book he made a commitment that he would see one person saved every day one year and the next year, it would be two people saved every day, and, and he even says that the days he wasn't able to see those results, to see those people saved, he would pray at night, and every single time he would find as he prayed through that, he would find that the reason why he didn't see those people saved was because he was self-sufficient, wow. because he was depending too much on self. And the next day, he would make up the difference for what he didn't get mm. the day before through God's power, through God's grace. It's just a phenomenal book on the subject of prayer. Uh, but then I would say that The Great Awakening by Joseph Tracy is a really good book. And it just basically talks about the history behind The Great Awakening. It talks about the times. And man, what you'll see as you read through that book is it, it started a lot of times with younger people, with teenagers and young adults. Mm. A lot of the stuff that went on in that time, you'll start to see those seeds really planted and, and start to grow amongst teenagers and young adults. And it's it's really just an interesting read and it'll help you just be encouraged. And uh, so so I think that's a good book as well on the Great Awakening. But those were those were some of the better ones that I read and, and there were a lot of others I read last year that I really enjoyed. But I would say that those three are probably the top of the list. Awesome. Thank you for that. And can you just briefly give the names of those three books one more time so that way those that are listening can maybe write them down or look them up. Sure. So The Great Awakening by Joseph Tracy. And then there is The Making of a Man of God by Alan Redpath. And then Praying Hyde. And Praying Hyde, there's only one book called Praying Hyde. The, the guy who wrote it, his name is Captain E.G. Carr. And his last name is C-A-R-R-E. So thank you. Uh, that's who wrote that book. I, I know a great book. After this interview, I'm going to look up these books here and probably order me at least one of the copies of them because I love to read. So I'm going to look check these out awesome. for sure. But uh, awesome. changing directions again here from that to another question. Uh, I know your church, I saw on Twitter the other day, but your church's theme for the, this upcoming year and you know, your vision for the year for 2021. So do you mind sharing yeah. with the audience what your church theme is for this year and maybe give us a brief challenge from that theme? Yeah, so in Philippians, Paul is, is talking to the church of Philippi, and, and he's talking about how uh, he values just knowing God, and he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection uh, and, and the fellowship of his sufferings. And he, he gives that whole spiel, and uh, just to kind of put it in a, in a nutshell, is our theme is that I may know him. And what's the point of that? Well, Paul, through his life, made it abundantly clear that his first and foremost and really only priority was knowing God. It was just knowing Jesus Christ more. And I think sometimes we get a little caught up in goals in our lives. And our goals, while they may be good, a lot of the time, sometimes we'll have goals 
that are less important than knowing God that take precedence over mm. knowing God. And what Paul said, this is, this is really what hits home for me, is Paul said that all the things in his life, he counts them all but dung. He's a very strong graphic word there, dung, like sewage. Mm -hmm. When you think about that, and we hear, yeah, yeah, he counted all that dung so that he could know Jesus more. Right, right, right. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means this. To count something as dung, to consider something as dung. For example, you and I, how much time do we spend a day just thinking about sewage? Do we, do we sit around and just, just consider sewage? No, no, no. It's not even a thought in our minds. Exactly. And what Paul is saying is this. Knowing God is not only the most important thing in my life, but it is the only thing in my life. Wow. He said, I have considered all of these things to be dung. He, he's not thinking about the clothes he's wearing. Not even thinking about it. Not even considering it. He's con he considers that as sewage. He's not thinking about the, the room he's staying in. He's not thinking about the bed. He's not thinking he's not thinking about food. All of those things was sewage. It was stuff he wasn't even gonna think about. They they were it was just I'm gonna count all those things as dung so that I can know him. He literally said, There there are not just things in my life that are somewhat important and that's the most important. No, no. It's not only the most important, but it is the only thing for me. Knowing God is just to know God. And for me personally, sometimes I don't think that way. I'll think, yeah, knowing God is the most important thing, but it's not the only thing. Oh, I'll start to think about, well, like I've got to, you know, I, I've got to wear this nicer suit and I want this new phone and I want this new car and I want to have this thing and I want this and I want – and we start to want other things. And, and I, obviously – and Paul isn't saying that I just I don't ha I don't follow any of my responsibilities and I'm irresponsible. No, that's not what he's saying. And I'm sure that he wasn't meaning for us as married men to say, "Well, you forget your wife. They're all done so that you can know Jesus." No, no, no. That's that's not what I'm saying. It's basically to come to a place where your chief goal in life, really everything boils it down to this: I just want to know God more. I just want to know God. That is the chiefest of treasures in the Christian life. That's it. That is the goal. That's the gold medal. Mm. That is the end game is knowing God. That's it. That is it. It's not big ministry. It's not even – and, and you know, Lord knows my heart when I say this. It's not even seeing a lot of people saved. Now, that's something we should want, right? And mm. why do we want that? Why? Because that's how we glorify God. And in knowing God more, we get to know God more through glorifying him more. And so, so it's, not, it's not to say that we, we put those things aside, but it's to say this, that the only thing that matters is knowing God more. So whatever I have to do, man, it's, it's just that's what I'm going to do so I can know him more. So we got to bear fruit, right? And that does mean bringing people to Christ. But my goal isn't necessarily in my mind like I just – I have to see this in my ministry or I have to have this status or I have to be preaching in this meeting. And one day my greatest goal – I've heard preachers say before it was my – the goal of my life to be able to preach with this preacher. That is one of the lousiest goals you could ever have. It should be our chiefest goal to just know God more. To just know God more. 
And I just want to make sure I, I reiterate, I'm not at all. I, I think it's great for us to want to win people to Christ. But we do that with the motive that we want to glorify God, right? Not that we want to build a church. And that's what I'm saying. We, we reach people. We want to see people saved, not so that we could uh, get more accolades and look at my church. Look at how big my – no, no. We do it because we want to just glorify God, and we want to know God more. And God it has the preeminence in our life. In such a way, and that's what Paul was saying. He said, I count all things but dung so that I can know God more. And, and that's I, what it's all about. So, and exactly. And I love just the simplicity of that theme of just knowing God and how that it really is the foundation to the Christian life, to living your life for God. That if you know God, as you said, that you know, winning souls to Christ, a lot of times that comes as a result of knowing God and you have fruits exactly. that come out of that. But whereas, exactly. you know, when you try to make the winning the souls the foundation instead of knowing God, then it's just you're you're doing it, but you're doing it out of routine and not out of a love for God. Right, but when you right. have that knowing God right. and you know, the, sorry, you know, when you have that idea, you know, you're knowing God, you want to follow him, you want to cherish him, you want to spend that closeness with him and just getting to know him, as it says in Philippians, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, then God begins to use you as a fruit out of that. Right. And, and, and that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to say. The the great thing about it, and that's what we see in Paul's fervency and his passion, is why is he saying this? Well, he's saying this because since he is knowing God, he wants others to know God. And he's trying to convey to the Philippian church, listen, all that matters is knowing him. All that matters is knowing him. And when you get to know God more, he he's not gonna be your best kept secret. You're going to talk about God. You're going to reach out to people, and people are going to come to Christ uh, through you being a light for him. But the end game, the main goal is not to have big ministry and not to have this or that. It's just to simply know God. That's it. That is the, that's the simplest goal, but it, it's – man, it, it's so much easier to say than to do. Yes, sir. Uh, and then lastly here, do you mind uh, telling the audience what your life verse is and then just give a closing brief challenge from that verse? Yeah, you know, it used to be 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Uh, my grace is sufficient for thee, most gladly, therefore will I rather glory my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Uh, where Paul entreats God uh, to remove the thorn. And, and I love that passage about sufficient grace to do what God's called you to do. But but now it's Romans 1.16. I know that's a lot of people's life first, but, but I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation, and, and to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For me, um, I, I love that verse so much because now as I'm here in Boston, there's yeah, – even as a younger guy, I work out in the secular field, always this pressure to be ashamed of God, to be ashamed of Jesus Christ, to be ashamed of the God, meaning like that I'm kind of embarrassed sometimes to talk about it, that I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to look foolish, but but what we have to realize is that to the wise of this world, we are fools for Christ's sake, and I want to be where Paul was. When Paul wrote to the Romans, he was flogged, stoned almost to death, thrown off a cliff. I mean, he was beaten. He was persecuted. This guy has known what it's like to be persecuted for the faith. And not any of that could curb his boldness for God. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not embarrassed by it. I'm not, I'm not just tiptoeing around it. No, I'm, I'm very forward about it. I'm bold for the gospel's sake. 
And that's for me in my life. I want to be a beacon for God. I want to be someone who is not ashamed of what Jesus Christ has done for me, of the gospel, and to just be unashamed about that. And, and not only is that my goal in knowing God, to be able to be beacon for him, help others know him, but it's also my goal for others who are younger, especially in this day and age where teenagers and, and student-aged adults are getting pressured to be ashamed of God. I want to help them be encouraged not to, to be bold, to stand for God, to proclaim the gospel of Christ in a world that is actively trying to discourage it. And, and that's, that's something I'm trying to get our church to do is to just be bold for God and, and not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So for me, that's like, that is my life verse. And you know, it may change in a few years. God may put something else in my heart that that I'm focusing on, but but that's that's where I'm at right now is Romans one sixteen. Hmm. And thank you for taking time out of your day today for this interview. I know it meant a lot to me, and it was a blessing to me, and I got a lot. I gleaned a lot of truths from that. So thank you for taking time out of your day to do this interview with me here. Uh, praise the Lord, man. It was it was my privilege. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. And uh, one more thing to close this out. Do you mind closing the podcast out in prayer for us? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for being so good to us. And Lord, thank you for the technology that we have so that we could, Lord, just listen to podcasts and, and, and get helped by people from all over the country. Uh, Lord, through technology, we're so blessed and we're so privileged, Lord. Uh, Father, I pray that we would honor you. I pray that every word that has been spoken, uh, Lord, was glorifying you, was pleasing to you. And Lord, I pray that it's a help to the people listening to this. Lord, I pray for the people who are listening to this. Father, I pray that, uh, Lord, you would help them to be bold for your sake. And Lord, to see that the chief treasure in the Christian life is knowing you. But Lord, I don't just ask that for them. I, I ask that for us. Or I ask that for me. And God, Lord, you know my heart. I'm prone to wander. Lord, I pray that you would just tune our hearts to yours. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Father, to stay devoted, committed to you. I pray that we would live for you today. Help us, Father, live by faith. And Lord, I pray you bless everyone listening to this. And as you say,